We have uh, been looking at the life of Joseph, and uh, Joseph is a guy that faced a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of injustice in, in his life, and he had every reason to sing the blues, but Joseph didn't. In fact, Joseph gave his very, very best uh, to every situation. And God used all that stuff in his life, all that hurt, all the pain, all the injustice, and accomplished amazing things. In fact, things that he couldn't have accomplished any other one. The House of Blues, we've been talking about the fact that it's a place we've all been. Some of you are in the House of Blues today. That, that house is a place you find yourself when life kind of takes an unwanted turn. It's not the way planned. And so we've been looking at how Joseph faced that house of blues, how he faced it with incredible courage, how he drew closer to God during that time that he found inner peace in the midst of it. He built strength. He avoided breaking down and getting stuck with why me, why me, why me. Instead, he shifted his perspective and said, what next, God? What do you have in mind next? And it's that perspective that when, when you make that adjustment, I think it's possible if you remember and realize that God's preparing you for what God's prepared for you. That you realize that, that God specializes in taking bad stuff, a bad situation, and doing amazing things. You know, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, we know that in all things God works for good with those who love him, those whom he's called according to his purpose. And I said early on when we started this series that I hope that scripture, that you come to believe that. No questions, no doubt, that you absolutely know that it's true, that God will bring good out of whatever the pain is in your life, that God will use that injustice, that God will take all that bad stuff and not waste your house of blues, that he will do something amazing with it. Now, last week we we left off, Joseph was in prison. Joseph's in prison for something he didn't do. And Joseph did what he always does. He did his very, very best. Joseph was God-honoring with everything that he said, everything that he, he did. Even though life hadn't turned out like he planned. And it's interesting because Joseph, he turns to, to God every time. And it's recorded over and over and over and over throughout the story of Joseph that the Lord was with Joseph. And I would argue... Because Joseph knew that, knew that God was with him, that it kept Joseph strong. It kept Joseph focused. It kept Joseph moving in a very positive direction. In fact, it kept Joseph believing, believing in a dream, God-given dream, a dream that appeared to be shattered, but he believed because God was with him. Last couple weeks, we, we talked about how Joseph's brothers betrayed him. 
And I think when we hear about betrayal, we quickly make the connection with times that we've been betrayed, times we've been wronged, times that we've been pushed in the pit. In fact, when I said the word betrayal, your mind went there. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. What I want to do is kind of shift our focus. I want to shift and look at the betrayers. I want to shift and, and kind of focus on Joseph's brothers. And I want to suggest that we all have more in common with the brothers than we care to admit, right? Some of you are getting uncomfortable right now. We, we have betrayers in the house. In fact, look to your left. Go ahead. Look to your right. They're sitting right next to you, maybe. Or maybe they're sitting in your seat. You may be thinking, well, not me. Well, let's, let's just be honest. We've all been betrayers. We've all betrayed God, for one, by our behavior. At some point in our life, we jumped off the cliff. We did something. The Bible calls it sin. And we, and we betrayed God with that. And that betrayal always leads to a house of blues. It may be when you turned on someone that, that trusted you. It might have been when you stabbed somebody in the back and kind of left them out to hang. You know, it may have been when you just messed somebody over or you didn't protect them. It might have been when you stole from them. It might have been when you hurt somebody. But the fact is, we've all betrayed somewhere along the way. And here's what I find interesting. Most people who have betrayed someone are absolutely clueless that they're a betrayer. In fact, when, when you look back on your life as you're assessing and you're looking back, I'm going to guess most of us have a really hard time seeing a time that we betrayed someone. And I think that's interesting, isn't it? We just don't identify with that. But as you're looking back, there's something I want you to, to understand because it's going to be important to us understanding this. That when you betray someone, you have to be in a relationship with that person. In other words, you have to be close to them. In other words, uh, your enemy, whoever your enemy is, they can't betray you. It's only someone that's really close to you. That's why it's betrayal. It's someone real close. I think for us to understand that mindset, to really get in touch... I want to look at Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers were the first Blues Brothers. All right? I know I'm dating myself with that movie, but uh, these boys are blue. I mean, if you track back and you look at the history of all these brothers, all Joseph's brothers, they felt betrayed, didn't they? They felt betrayed by their father, Jacob. Jacob showed more love to Joseph. In other words, Joseph was his favorite. And everybody knew it, and especially the boys. When Joseph was a teenager, daddy buys him this designer robe, Gucci robe, boss robe, whatever. And every time Joseph wore it, 
his brothers were reminded that he was the favorite. Joseph makes matters worse because he starts having dreams. They're dreams from God. And so he has these dreams, and in them he realizes that he will not only rule over his family, but he's going to rule over all the nations someday. And so Joseph sort of starts bragging to his brothers about it. And I want you to cut Joseph a little slack here, because Joseph is a teenager, all right? Let me translate what that means. How many of you have teenagers? All right, you're going to identify with this. Joseph's a teen, and he has more wisdom than smarts, right? I mean, we've all been there. We've all, we've all done things. In fact, I, I would almost guarantee you, you look back on your teenage years, and there are things that you wish that you could take back. You thought you understood. You thought you knew what you were doing. But then you grew up one day. And you realize, hmm, that's not good. Joseph is a typical teenage boy. He gets this dream and he speaks before he thinks it out. He puts his brothers on full tilt. Now, his brothers, before they throw him in the pit, before they sold him into slavery, before they betrayed him, do you know what he did first? What the brothers did? They envied him. You see, envy, jealousy, it usually is what we encounter before we betray someone. Joseph's brothers... They're focusing on the robe. Every time he wore it, they're focusing on it. They're focusing on what they didn't have in their lives. They're, they're doing the comparison game. The, the brothers are, are focusing on how they've been wronged by their father. They, they weren't focusing on how they've been blessed. I mean, they, they live in a very prosperous home. They have plenty of stuff. In fact, this family's mega wealthy. But they weren't looking at that. They, they weren't looking to, to God for their cues. They weren't focusing on the incredible love that God had for them. No, they weren't doing that. And, and I think it's real easy when you think about God's love. I think it's easy to kind of get messed up here. Because what usually happens is we get so concerned with, I love God. You know, I, I, I've got to love God more. And don't misunderstand me. That's a good thing. And we should be always looking to love God more. But here's what happens, and, and this is where it gets messed up. We focus so much on how we're going to love God And we don't focus on how God loves us. Do you see what I'm talking about? Do you see the difference here? It's a different focus. We we focus on, when you focus on how much God loves you, especially in those times of disappointment, those times of pain, 
those, those times that we're going through something that we wish we weren't going through, I would argue it's vital that you know how much God loves you. Do you realize that today? How much God loves you? When, when, when you focus on God's love, it takes your eyes off everything else. It reduces that, that grip of envy, of jealousy that can take root in, in our heart. It changes where we look. See, envy always starts with the eyes, doesn't it? I look around, I go, oh, I like what they've got. I like what they've got. I wish I had that. It starts with where you focus. Where are you focusing? And we, we talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago. That when we see people that are blessed, we see people that have this or that, that it's really easy to be jealous, right? Envious. I wish I had that. I deserve that. You know, why'd they get that? That's what Joseph's brothers do. Joseph's brothers are blue. And it led to betrayal. And betrayal is a very strange thing, I, I think, in that... When we get the opportunity to betray someone, you know, it presents itself. If you don't break the back of betrayal, it will break you. It will mess you up big time. You know, Joseph's brothers, they're focusing on Joseph. They're focusing on what Joseph had. They're focusing on on the robe. They're focusing on what they didn't have. These envy engines are revving up in their life. You know, envy is one of the seven deadly sins. We, we had a series on the seven deadly sins uh, a couple years back. But envy starts ugly. And it ends ugly. You guys remember the cheer? U-G-L-Y, you ain't got no alibi. alibi. Wow, well, a couple people knew it over here. Here's what gets me. All the other sins... Of the seven deadly sins, they start out with a promise. Now it's a lie, but but it does start out with a promise, like like pride. I'm the man. I'm number one, and it feels good for a little while, doesn't it? But then it gets ugly. Think about greed. Greed. Greed starts off kind of fun. You know, I'll I'll acquire this or that. You know, I'll collect a lot of toys. And it's temporarily fulfilling. But friends, if you stay on that road long enough, it gets ugly, doesn't it? It gets really ugly. Lust. Lust is like that. It starts off exciting. Fun. Girlfriend. Check him out. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Wow, look at her. And it's got all the bells and all the whistles, and it's fun. But it ends ugly, doesn't it? That, that's how sin is. It starts with a promise that's a lie, but we hear it as a promise, but it ends ugly. Really ugly, but not with envy. Envy starts ugly and ends ugly. When, when I'm envious of someone, you know the Joseph in my life or in your life? 
I'm sad when they succeed, and I'm glad when they fail. That's envy. At its worst and at its best. And if you don't check envy, if you don't confess envy, if you don't deal with envy, what you find is you're pushing people in the pit of life. And that's what Joseph's brothers did. They pushed him in the pit. And here's something that strikes me about envy. that It's kind of a sinister side of envy and betrayal. When you betray someone, spouse, parent, son, daughter, business partner, teammate, colleague, co-worker, boss, teacher, you know, you pick it. Once you push them in the pit, you think, They're in the pit, right? And you're not. But friends, if you start looking around, at some point you realize you're in the pit too. Actually, you're in a deeper pit. At first you don't realize it. Because you get this kind of wave of ecstasy. You push them in the pit and you feel good, right? Feel good because basically you want them to feel as betrayed as you feel. And so you push them. And at first, feels good. But then the tune shifts. The thrill is gone. I can't do it like Greg, but... The thrill has gone away. You know why? Because you hit that wave of guilt, remorse, shame. And it catches you off guard. Because in your mind, you're thinking, I pushed them in the pit. I shouldn't be feeling like this. I should feel good. And what you do, you start trying to bury your feelings. You, You try and rationalize that what you did, that it was justified and that they had it coming. You know, you, you, in your mind, you try and convince everybody around you. You know, they had it coming. You, you would have done it too. You would have done it. If you had been in my shoes, you would have done it. You would have treated them like I treated them. You, you would have stole the clients. You know, you would have ended up in the arms of someone else. I mean, if they had treated you like they treated me, and friends, let me tell you, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And we do this very strange thing, and that is we begin to surround ourselves with people that are singing the same rhythm and blues. We surround ourselves with a pit crew. Pit crew that keeps the envy engine revving and running. You know, he had it coming. You're absolutely right. He did have it coming. She had it coming. You're right. They had it coming. You had every right to sell them out. You had every right to push them in. Anybody would have done it. I'd have helped you if I'd have been there. And at some point, you have got to make a move. You have to make a move. And you got to get out of pit row. you got to stop listening to the pit crew. And you got to start listening to people that truly and really love you for who you are.
people that are willing to speak the truth, people that will encourage you to leave the pit, people that will encourage you to leave the house of blues and to just let things go, people that will show you that God loves you, that God has a plan for your life. You have got to surround yourself with people that will speak the truth in love. But most, most people do not want to hear the truth. They'd prefer to live a lie. Joseph's brothers are liars. Joseph's brothers pushed him in the pit, sold him into slavery. They went back to dad. They're carrying the shredded designer robe. It's covered in goat's blood. Oh, dad. You will not believe what happened to Joseph. He's dead. Lie. The brothers are living a lie. They're living with this lie. And I want you to think about what was Joseph doing during the same time? You know, for ten years, Joseph is a slave. For, for ten years, he has been working in Potiphar's home. Potiphar was the high-level government official in Egypt. This is where Joseph learns his leadership skills, working for Potiphar. He, he, he is gaining stature. He's gaining strength. And then he gets betrayed again. He gets thrown in prison for a crime he didn't do. Joseph's in the House of Blues again. And Joseph does what he always has done in his life, and that is he gives life his very, very best. He becomes this model prisoner. He gains the guards' trust. He's helping and caring for the inmates. He's gaining strength. He's gaining stature. He's getting stronger. Joseph the dreamer, whose dreams appear to be shattered, Joseph is in prison... He's interpreting the dreams of fellow inmates. Again, gift from God. Joseph, whose dream appeared dead, spends two years in prison. Pharaoh, most powerful person in the world at that time, Pharaoh starts having disturbing dreams. Pharaoh can't sleep. In fact, Scripture says the next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Pharaoh's troubled. He's disturbed. He can't can't sleep. The cupbearer, remember him from last week? He'd been in prison. The cupbearer, who's probably the closest person to the Pharaoh. He's responsible for Pharaoh's well-being. The cupbearer thinks about his past all of a sudden. When he was in prison. And he knows what to do in that moment. And so he approaches Pharaoh. He says, there was a young Hebrew man with us in prison. 
who was a slave of the captain of the guards. That was Potiphar. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he predicted. Pharaoh hears this. He sends guards after Joseph. Joseph gets all cleaned up. They bring him to the Oval Office. Joseph is listening. He's not sure why he's there. But Pharaoh says, I've been having these dreams. And so he tells Joseph the dreams. He says, I understand you can interpret. And it's interesting because Joseph doesn't tell him to take Lunesta or something like that. No, he, he, he kind of clarifies. He says, look, I can't, I can't interpret your dream. Only God can. See, he gives God the credit in that moment. He says, it's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Pharaoh tells Joseph the dreams, and you'll have to read it yourself. Uh, Genesis 41, it's recorded. Joseph interprets the dream. He says, well, Pharaoh... Seven years, there's going to be a, a bull market here. The, the seven fat cows that you saw, the seven fat heads of grain, re- represents a, a time of prosperity in Egypt. There, there's going to be abundance. But Pharaoh, the other part, seven years, it's going to be followed by a bear market. Those seven scrawny cows, those seven very thin heads of grain, they represent seven years of famine. God has declared it. The clock is going to start ticking. Get prepared. Joseph then puts his leadership, puts it on full display for Pharaoh. Leadership skills that Potiphar helped him develop while he was a slave. Leadership skills that he sharpened while he was in prison. Pharaoh, you need a business strategy. You need a wise and gifted leader. You need a godly man that could be in charge of everything in Egypt. Someone that's effective at implementing a a grain savings program over the next seven years. So that we are fully prepared for seven years of famine. If you do this right, every nation in the world will look to Egypt. They will look to Egypt for help. They will bow down. Egypt can make a lot of money. Pharaoh heard him out. Pharaoh starts trying to think about, well, who would this man be? Joseph's probably going, smart, can interpret dreams, godly man. Hmm. Pharaoh said, you are that gifted leader. You are that godly man. 
you're the guy for the job, Joseph. Joseph is promoted to the number two position in Egypt, in fact, in all the world. Number two. Think about this. He goes from the pit to slavery to prison to the number two position in the palace. For seven years, Joseph is managing Egypt. He's gathering the grain. He's preparing for the famine. For seven years, he's the most prominent person in the world next to Pharaoh. Twenty years have passed since his brothers threw him in the pit. Since his brothers sold him into slavery. Twenty years, Joseph's been rising the entire time. What's the brothers been doing? Well, I would argue that the brothers were living in a house of blues. They'd betrayed Joseph. They'd fabricated this amazing lie. They had buried the truth. And they kept trying to keep the shame and the guilt from building up. They kept trying to bury it. But they couldn't. They didn't want to think about Joseph. But they did. I would argue every time they went shopping at the mall and they saw a new designer robe hanging out there. Joseph popped in their mind, right? They're down at the local diner. Waitress brings them a cup of joe. Are you kidding me? They, they see a trade caravan. They think about Joseph. They see a herd of goats. They think about Joseph. Joseph's in their head all the time. They're reminded all the time. They're reminded of all the anger and all the resentment. They're reminded of Joseph over and over and over and over and over again. And I believe when you betray someone, it triggers memories throughout your life of people that you betrayed, of people you hurt, people you took advantage of in your life, of people that that we've abused, that we've lied to, that we've stabbed in the back. Even though in our mind we're trying to justify it, what happens is we find ourselves in a house of blues. The brothers have been living in a house of blues. 20 years of it. Famine hits. And it's bad. People are, are starving, but not in Egypt. Joseph's plan was successful. Why? Because God was with him. It says when Jacob, that's, that's Joseph's father, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, I find scripture's funny here. He says, why do you just keep looking at each other? He's talking to his sons because he's brought up Egypt now. And they're remembering Joseph again. They're remembering the lie. They're remembering that they sold him into slavery. They're remembering that the caravan was heading to Egypt. So they look at one another like, "Uh uh-oh, we've got to go to Egypt here. He says, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. The ten brothers all head 
to Egypt. They leave little brother at home. They go there to buy grain. Why? Because they're experiencing a famine in their life. They're hungry. Friends, when you're not focusing on the love of God, when life doesn't go the way you planned, when instead you you focus on the people around you, you focus on the situations around you, focus on the emotions, the envy, the jealousy, at some point you will have a famine in your soul. There's a spiritual law that you will face your sin again. That's how it is with betrayal. You will face your sin again. It's not a popular law. It's not a hot topic. And people go, man, I want to read a book on that. How you face your sins again. It's not a talk show favorite. It's not the kind of thing that people will stand and clap and cheer about. But it is absolutely true. In God's economy, you will face your sin again. You will have to face it. You will have to deal with it. You will have to come clean at some point. You will have to come to a point that you ask for forgiveness. Joseph's brothers, they make the trek to Egypt. They are beaten down. They are battered. They are broken. They find themselves kneeling before the governor of Egypt. It's Joseph. The brothers do not recognize Joseph. Joseph has immersed himself in the Egyptian culture. Joseph looked like an Egyptian. Joseph walked like an Egyptian. (laughs) If you didn't get that, just turn to somebody. The bangles, I think. Was it the bangles? Yes, thank you. He talked like an Egyptian. He spoke Arabic. Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him. But Joseph recognized them. Joseph talked to them through an interpreter. And I find this a very interesting dynamic, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Joseph used an interpreter because his native tongue was kind of rusty. You know, he hadn't spoken it for 20 years. Maybe maybe it was Egyptian protocol that you would speak the nation's language. Or maybe, perhaps, Joseph was hiding his identity. And so he used an interpreter so that his brothers wouldn't know. But Joseph's brothers are about to come face to face with their sin. You know, if you don't uh, look up at some point and deal with your sin and own it, ask for forgiveness, if you just keep looking around... Friends, you will take up residency in the house of bliss. And what God will do when you're living there is God will remind you. He'll bring things to mind when you see certain things. It'll remind you because there are opportunities to come clean. In other words, the choice choice is up to you in that moment. Some of you right now 
when I said that, you remembered something. You remembered someone. You remembered a situation. You remembered that sin that you've been trying to bury. And friends, I want to argue that that's an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. You know, Numbers 32, 23, it says, You may be sure that your sins will what? Find you out. See, the plot's about the clot here. The brothers, they're talking to Joseph. They have no clue. Joseph starts uh, questioning them. And he accuses them of, of being spies at this point. And the brothers go, no, my lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We're all brothers, members of the same family. We're, we're honest men, sir. We are not spies. We're honest men. I think Joseph, it was all he could do to keep from laughing at this point. Honest men? You guys are anything but honest. You've been living a lie, a, a, a sin that you've been lying about, that you've been covering up. Joseph accuses them of being liars. He accuses them of being spies. They say, sir, there are actually 12 of us. Your, your servant, uh, servants are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. They're talking about Joseph. He's dead. He's gone. Well, that's our story anyway. Joseph has all the boys thrown into prison. He lets them sit in prison for three days. They are sweating it out. They're wondering what's going to happen to us. What's going to happen next? Joseph visits the prison. I love this part in Scripture. He says, I think you guys are liars, but you can prove me wrong. Go back and get your little brother that you say exists. And you all can go back, but one of you is going to have to stay here. I'm going to keep you in prison. And if you're not spies, if you're honest men, you'll be able to come back with your little brother. And if you're able to do that, then you will not die. Joseph said, you need to make a decision. Who's staying here? So the brothers have a conversation right in front of Joseph. Because remember, Joseph's speaking through an interpreter. Again, it's kind of for show, I think, at this point. Genesis 42:21. They're talking, talking among themselves. Scripture says, and uh, they they come to a point, and they say, clearly, we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. See, I told you, they could not get him out of their mind. They're facing their sin again. Finally, the brothers decide they'll leave Simeon. Joseph releases the rest of them to go back home and get their younger brother, Benjamin. 
Friends, God's speaking to some of you right now. He's reminding you of something, something you've been trying to bury, something that you've tried to pretend that you were justified in in doing. And friends, some of you are just one decision away from dealing with that, being freed. Some of you have been living in the house of blues for a long time. And I want to say to you, why wait for a famine? You just deal with it. And I'm going to give you an acrostic here so it's easy to remember, but freed, the word freed. Because we're not made to live in that house of blues. We can be free from that. And if you take these steps, you can be freed. You can walk out. First is face the truth. Face the truth about whatever it is that you did. And I know some of you are going, yeah, but uh, she, he had it coming. No, 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 no. Face the truth. Own it. Own what you did. Admit you made a decision to do whatever. Two are realize that you're in the pit. Realize you're in the house of blues. Even though you've, you've tried to justify it in your mind, even though in and under it all it's eating at you and you know it, knowing that you're reminded about it all too often, everywhere you look. And once you realize that, then you've got to elevate. You've got to look to God. You've got to look to God. God's the only way out. I mean, you can continue to justify it. You can pretend nothing's wrong. You can lie to yourself. You can lie to everybody around you. But friends... The reality is you, you can decide, you know what, I like the house of blues, but it's going to get bluer, the pit's going to get deeper. You can do that. You can. Or you can look to God for a way out. I think one of the things you have to do, the other E here, is evaluate. Evaluate the damage, evaluate what you did, evaluate the collateral damage, evaluate the whole thing. Talk to a mature Christian about it, about what you should do. You know, this gets complicated. But then at some point, you've got to hit your knees. D, down. You bow down before your God. You lay it down before God. You give it to God. I love what the psalmist says, Psalms 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sins is always before me. Bow down to God and give God the situation. Give God the sin. One decision away. Now, We're going to pick the story up next week. My my prayer today is, um, as we bow our heads and pray, that if you're one of those that goes, yeah, I need need to get straight, get straight with God today on it. Do not continue to live in that house that you try and go, oh, it's not really there, I'm not really struggling, it's not a problem, and just own it. Just on it. Let's let's bow in prayer.
our holy God. God, it's painful to look at the brothers in this story and realize it's our story too. We've all been down that path. And God, I pray that... uh, whatever stuff we haven't confessed, haven't owned, haven't acknowledged, uh, that, God, you'd give us the strength today to just lift it up to you. God, I know there are people lifting it up right now. God, I thank you for your amazing love, your amazing grace. God, I know that being in the house of blues for a season, it's you preparing us for what you've prepared for us, but you never intend us to live there. God, I know there's some been living there a long time. God, I pray you'd help them break out, to take steps, to just say no more. God, you're a God of power, a God of opportunities, a God that can clear the way. We praise you. We thank you. We give you the praise and we worship you this morning. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.